Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody. It's lovely to be here. And uh, just thank you again for making me feel so welcome. And it's great to renew fellowship with you and spend time in God's word and hearing what the Lord has said to us. One of you could turn with me to Ruth uh, chapter 2. Ruth uh, chapter 2. And we're going to read from verse 1. Ruth chapter 2. Before we turn to God's word, let's just come before the Lord in prayer. Let's just pray. Eternal Heavenly Father, again, we, we praise your name. We magnify your name. We honor you, Father, this morning as we come into your presence. Father, we thank you that we are indeed coming into the presence of one who is sovereign, one who is in control and indeed one who loves us, loves us with an eternal love, with a, a steadfast love, with a love that, that, that is demonstrated and, and manifested in the sending of your own and precious Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you this morning for the, for the one who atoned for our sins, the one who shed his own and precious blood to cover us of all of our sins and all of our transgressions and iniquities. We thank you, Father, for the one who willingly took that punishment in our place. And indeed, Father, we rejoice this morning in the resurrection, in the fact and wonderful truth that he lives and indeed, he sits at your right hand, ever interceding for us. Father, we thank you for our salvation this morning. We thank you, Father, for the journey of faith that we're on. And Father, as we are navigating by your grace, by the enabling power of your Spirit, as we navigate that, that journey of faith, Father, we pray that you would teach us, you would lead us, you would guide us, you would instruct us, and you would indeed strengthen us so that we would indeed glorify you, reflect Christ, and love one another. Father, be with us as we open your word this morning. As you teach us from your word, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through this feeble speaker, Father, and indeed speak to each and every one of our hearts. Meet us at the point of our need. Wherever we are, Father, on that journey of faith, maybe there are burdens here this morning, people who are, who are weighed heavy down with the burdens of life and the challenges and complexities of the various things that they have to deal with and circumstances that they're brought into. Maybe there are ones here this morning that are on a, on a hilltop experience, Father. Maybe there are just some in between. But Father, wherever we are, we pray, Father, that you would meet us at the point of our need. And indeed, Father, that our hearts would be changed. And you and you above all, Father, would be glorified this morning as we read your word, as we hear your word. And indeed, Father, we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word only, that we would apply it in our daily lives for your glory and for your glory alone. And we pray these things in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Ruth chapter 2 and verse 1. 
There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. And then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to the servant who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, it is the young Moabite woman who came back from with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go, do not go to glean in, in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field, which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young women not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from where the young, women, young men have drawn. In verse 10, so she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you have left your father and your mother and the, the land of your birth, we, and, and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord will pay your work and full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, let me find favor in your, in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, come here and eat of the bread, dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. When she rose up to, to glean, Boaz commanded the young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and, and, and beat out what, what, what she had gleaned, and it was a, about an ephah of barley. Then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought on out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied." In verse 19, her mother-in-law said to her, where have you gleaned today and where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be he of the, he, uh, he, blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Ruth the Moabites said, he also said to me, you shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and wheat harvest. And she dwelt with her mother-in-law and finished reading in chapter 2. 
So last week, uh, we started a little study in Ruth, and God willing, in my time here, I'm going to uh, hopefully complete uh, this study in Ruth and go to the very end of this book. And just to bring us a little bit up to speed, just a couple of minutes, just to bring us up to speed to where we are, when we uh, looked at Ruth chapter 1 last week, uh, the first few verses told us that there was famine in the land. And we were reminded that when there's famine in the land, that tells us that God's people are in a backslidden state. Because when God's people in the Old Testament are close to the Lord, and when they're obedient to the Lord, then God blesses the land. But when there's disobedience, and when there is turning away from the Lord, and when there's backsliding, God curses the land. And so when we read that there was a famine, it means that Israel is caught up in spiritual idolatry. They're in rebellion against God. They're in a backslidden state. They're in a spiritual mess. And we were reminded last week that even though they're in a spiritual mess, God still moves in the messiness of their lives, reminding us that even when we're in a spiritual mess, when we're distant from God, God is still moving. God never leaves his people. God never leaves us or forsakes us. He still moves in the messiness, teaching us, instructing us, guiding us, fulfilling his purposes and plans in our life. Yes, sometimes disciplining us, but God is moving in the messiness of your life and of my life. And then we're presented with a family, the family of Elimelech. The the father is Elimelech, the husband of Naomi. Uh, And they go across the border to Moab because there's famine in the land. And as we said last week, Well, surely that's justifiable. Surely it's okay to cross the border into the world. Surely it's okay to go to Moab because they're starving. They need food. Elimelech had no other choice. But there's never a legitimate reason for sinning. They shouldn't have gone to Moab. But there's famine in the land. Doesn't matter. They shouldn't have gone to Moab because there's consequences when you cross the border. There's consequences when you go into the world. We often legitimize going over to Moab. We often legitimize our sin in the workplace, in university, in our neighborhood. I have no other choice. I I can't share my faith. It's going to cause all sorts of chaos and headaches, so I'll just keep quiet. I've got to go along with these guys in university because if I don't go along with them into the nightclubs and into the worldly ways and patterns, if I don't do that, I'm going to be isolated and alone and marginalized. Surely there are legitimate reasons for crossing over to Moab. There never is. There's never a legitimate reason for sinning. And know this, in Moab, there's consequences, and there was for this family. Elimelech sadly passes away. The sons, the two sons of Naomi and Elimelech, they marry Ruth and Orpah. But those two sons pass away also. And Ruth and Orpah and Naomi are left on their own. And that is a dangerous situation. But there's hope because God is love. And there's revival in the land. And Naomi is drawn back to that revived people. 
and, and if you turn back to the Lord this morning, if you've been in that backslidden state, and if you, if you experience that restoration and revival by crying out to the Lord this morning, then it'll have a positive impact on people. I can guarantee you that in your family, in your workplace. And, and the people of Israel, that revived heart, had a positive impact on Naomi. She's heading back out of Moab and into the promised land. And Ruth and Orpah want to go with her, but they're put to a spiritual test. Naomi says, no, you stay there. You stay behind in Moab. You get yourselves husbands. You find rest. And Orpah, in tears, stays in Moab. But Ruth clings on to Naomi and turns to Naomi's God and Naomi's people, turns in faith. You know, this morning, are you in Moab? Are you like Orpah or are you like Ruth? Are you in Moab? Are you in the world still holding on to the things of the world, still holding on to the hope of the world? Maybe you're even emotional like Orpah. You, you want to cross over the border, but you want to just hold on to the world. Well, this morning, let me remind you again from 1 John and, and chapter 2, the world is passing away. That world, that Moab that you're holding on to, it's passing away along with its desires. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Turn to the Lord. Give your life to him this morning. Leave Moab. It's not good. Leave Moab and turn to the Lord. And there you will find peace. There you will find salvation. There you will find forgiveness of sins for all eternity. Ruth clings to Naomi, and they cross the border. Naomi arrives, as I said last week, not all hyper, not doing cartwheels, not saying I'm loving life and living my best life. She's not saying that. She's saying, change, I'm changing my name. Naomi, that meant pleasant. I'm changing to Mara. Bitter. Because I've had a bitter time in Moab. I've had a hard time in Moab. And good on Naomi for being real. Being real with the Lord and being real with one another. She's not faking it. She's saying, I, I, left, I left full. And I've come back empty. But I'm being real with the Lord, and I'm being real with you. And Naomi's now on a journey. She's on a journey of restoration and revival, and we need to be real with one another. As I said last week, I'm the worst at this. But we need to be real. We need to pray for one another. We need to encourage one another on that journey of faith. And now we come to chapter 2. And from the verse first, there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. Immediately in chapter 2, it confirms that Elimelech did not need to take his family across the border. Now, even if Elimelech had have starved, he should not have compromised his faith. He should not have left the people of God. He should not have crossed over to the world. But this reminds us, this verse, that if Elimelech had have stayed, he would have been fine. Boaz is a relative of Elimelech. Boaz stayed. He didn't cross the border. He didn't go to Moab. He didn't compromise his faith. He stayed in faith, and God blessed him. 
God blessed them here materially, but God blessed them more importantly than materially. God blessed them spiritually. Boaz remained. Boaz kept faithful to the Lord. Boaz didn't cross the border. Elimelech should never have done this, but Boaz stayed, and God blessed him. You know, so often in life where, you know, when the Lord is calling us to do something, we're, 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 we're tempted to, you know, we're tempted to say, well, I, I can't do that. I don't have the time to do that. I'm too busy to do that. When the Lord asks you to do something, what is our response? Let me ask you this. I think I've probably asked you before. When was the last time the Lord asked you to do something? Answer in your own heart. What was your response to that request from the Lord? What was your response? What did he ask you to do? And what was your response? And when the Lord asks us to do things, sometimes we think that that's not going to work. We're not going to be able to do that. We don't have the time. We're, we're too busy. That's a big, big reason that we use so often, isn't it? I'm too busy. I'm flat out. It, I don't know. It seems to be a Northern Ireland cultural thing. Everybody seems to be busy. <laughs> Everybody seems to work 100%. Everybody seems to not have one minute of time in the day to spare. We seem to be flat out all the time. But if the Lord has asked you to do something this morning, to use your gifts for the glory of God, then, then, then just do it. Just go ahead and do it for the glory of God. And God will provide, and God will enable you. God will strengthen you. God will work in ways you couldn't possibly even imagine. So forget all the busyness stuff. If God calls you, don't be like Jonah and run the opposite direction. Why not be like Isaiah? Here I am, send me. And, do, and go out in faith and serve the Lord. You know, I thought of this, and I've been thinking about this for some time. And, you know, when uh, COVID hit, as some of you may be aware, that I was called into ministry in Oma for a period of time, for a year. It turned out to be two and a half years. But um, we, a ministry of preaching in Oma for that period of time. And the call to go to Oma was in May of 2020. The lockdown was around March or April, and the call to go to uh, Oma was in May. And as you know, and as I said before, I, I run a company, I run a business called Shredbank, and we have these clients, and we have 3,000 clients, and when lockdown came, all of our clients went home. The entire business could have completely and utterly collapsed. But when I was given that call in May, praise the Lord, I didn't have to worry about the business. I didn't have to worry about my business partner. I didn't have to worry about anything. I was able to head off to Oma by the grace of God. Now, how did that happen? Because all our businesses were closed. Shred Bank, my business should have collapsed. But a few months prior to lockdown, I got a phone call from the civil service. Now, I don't usually get phone calls from the civil service. In fact, I've never got a phone call from the civil service. But a few months before lockdown, I got a call from the civil service. And they said to me, Philip, a few issues at the minute in relation to our shredding. I'm wondering, could Shred Bank, for a couple of months, just a couple of months, look after the shredding for the whole of the civil service? And I said, yeah, we could, we, we could, we could do that. Uh, it'll take a bit of resources and time, and I'm going to need it at this level. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we can do that. It's just for a couple of months, just for a couple of months. 
And then lockdown came, and all the businesses that we service, all our clients just closed. Most of them did anyway. The business should have collapsed. But God is moving in the messiness. God is fulfilling his plans and purposes. And I got a phone call from the civil service with lockdown, and the guy said, Philip, could you just do it one more month? Services contract, one more month. And as all our private sector businesses collapsed, the civil service contract made up the difference. And every month through lockdown and through the second lockdown and the third lockdown, I kept on getting these phone calls at the end of the month from the civil service. Philip, could you just do it one more month? And I didn't have to worry about the business. I was fulfilling the ministry in Oma by God's grace, by God's enabling. All glory be to the Lord. And I didn't have to worry about the business because every, at the end of every month, the civil service kept on ringing and saying, just one more month, Philip. And then I think it was around April 2021 when lockdown ended and all the businesses opened again and our, all, our, all our normal clients started to give us business again, I got a phone call saying, Philip, the contract with us is over. The Lord provided. The Lord enabled me to fulfill that ministry by his grace. All glory be to God. God provides and God cares for us. And God looks after the very detail of our life. So if the Lord is calling you to do something, then, then, then just do it for God's glory. And the Lord will enable and guide and strengthen us. Boaz is a kinsman. Just a note. He is a special person in the, in the family with special responsibilities and obligations. But we'll look at that later. So Ruth the Moabites said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain, verse 2, after in him whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. So what's happening here? Well, first of all, Ruth is showing that changed character. She's coming to Naomi and she's saying, please let me go to the field. There's a, there's a quiet submission with Ruth. There's an obedience with Ruth. There's a humility of Ruth coming through, that godly character coming through in Ruth's life. But she goes to the field. And she goes to the field to do what? She goes to the field to glean heads of grain. Now, what's going on here? Well, don't need to turn to it, but in Leviticus chapter 19, there's a little law that basically says that when farmers are, are harvesting in the field, when they're, when they're cutting grain, they're to leave corners of the field, and literally to cut corners. They're to cut corners and not glean part of the, of the harvest so that the poor and needy would be able to get food, glean for themselves and get food so that they can be sustained. And if you were to drop some grain, you're to leave it there so that the poor and needy can pick up that grain for food. It's kind of like a social welfare system in those days. That's what it really is. It's a social welfare system for the poor and needy. So Ruth goes to glean heads of grain. And it says here she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. And I want to focus on that word happened. She happened to turn up at the field that Boaz was there. She didn't happen to turn up. In her mind, she happened to turn up at the field that Boaz was in. But the reason why Ruth was in that field where Boaz was, Boaz's field, was because God brought her to that place. 
Sometimes it seems coincident in our life, doesn't it? Sometimes it seems that things are happening by chance. But God is, has a plan and purpose for Ruth and Boaz and for God's people. And he's fulfilling that purpose and plan in the lives of Ruth and Boaz. Ruth turned up at that field because God brought her to that place. Boaz is in that field because God brought him to that place. Do you remember the story of Joseph? You know, the brothers who had sold Joseph, well, they'd first put him into the pit. They lied about him to their father. They sold him to the Midianites. The Midianites then sold Joseph to the Potiphar's household. Joseph then was um, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. Joseph then runs for his life. He ends up in prison. He interprets a dream of a fellow uh, inmate, the cupbearer. And as a result of that, he finds himself in the court of Pharaoh. And he interprets Pharaoh's dream that there'll be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And then Pharaoh rewards him by making him prime minister over all of Egypt with the power of, 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 of food distribution, with the keys to the barn doors of the grain that was stored up in those seven years of plenty. And remember when, when, when we were two years into that famine, the brothers, they had to go to Egypt to get food because they were about to die. And they go to the court of Joseph. They don't recognize Joseph, but Joseph recognizes the brothers. And he puts the brothers in through a spiritual test. And they pass the test. The test that they had grown in maturity and that they were sorry for their sins. And when they had passed that test, Joseph reveals himself to the brothers. And the brothers are visibly distressed at what they had done to Joseph. But interestingly, what Joseph's reply was, he didn't say, yeah, you should be annoyed. You should be distressed because of what you've done to me. Joseph doesn't say that. Joseph says, do not be distressed because I've come here to give you life. <laughs> wow. To the people who, to the brothers who were going to take his life, he was brought to give them life. And then he says one of my most favorite verses in the Bible in Genesis 45 and verse 8. says to the brothers, So it was not you who sent me here, but God. God had brought Joseph to that place. Oh, no, no, no. Was it not the brothers? Was it not the Midianites? Was it not Potiphar's wife? No. It may seem that way, but God brought Joseph to that place. When Joseph was in the pit, God brought him to that place. When Joseph was in the prison, God brought him to that place. When Joseph was in the palace, God brought him to that place. Joseph is declaring the sovereignty of God in his life. And this morning, you might be in the pit. You might be in the prison. You might be enjoying the palace. Wherever you are this morning, God has brought you to that place. And you may say, well, what, what do I do? What, what's, how do I respond? How do I respond when I'm in this dark place? How do I respond when I'm in this difficult place? How do I respond when I find myself in a spiritual mess? Trust the Lord and serve him. That is our response. Trust the Lord. Whether you're in the pit, the prison, or the palace, trust the Lord and serve him because wherever you are, know this, God has brought you to this place. And you might say, well, well, well they did it, or, or, or that organization did it. 
And maybe you have been done wrong. But remember what Joseph says later on in Genesis 50? What man meant for evil, God meant for good. And you may not understand why you are where you are. You may not even accept where you are. You may struggle with where you are. But know that God is working all things together for good to those who love him. Where you are, that is where God has placed you. And it's for a purpose, to fulfill his great plans for your life, to change you, to mold you, to bring you one day into his heavenly kingdom. You remember even Paul, at the end of 2 Timothy, he was about to die. He was about to go into the near presence of the Lord. He was about to be executed. And, 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 and he said, you know, I, I've, I, I'm just about to be poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. He talks about how alone he was, how only Luke remains, how at his first defense, no one stood with him. But then he says, but the Lord stood with me. And know this this morning, you may not feel it, you may not experience it in that sense, but God stands with you, will never leave you or forsake you. And Paul was able to say, and this word deliverance has been used in our songs, in the prayers before, before this, and in the reading that Campbell gave in Colossians, he is the God of deliverance. Paul says, he has delivered me from the mouth of the lion. He has delivered me from every evil deed, and he will preserve me, deliver me safely into his heavenly kingdom. He is the God of deliverance. Sometimes God delivers you from things. He delivers you through circumstances, and even in death. He will deliver you safely into his heavenly kingdom. Do you serve the God of deliverance, friend? The one who can deliver you from your sin? The one who can deliver you from the world, from Moab? The one who can deliver you from the wrath of God? Do you serve him? Have you given your life to him? Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your faith in the deliverer, the one who delivers you from the kingdom of darkness, as has already been read, and transfers you into the kingdom of his Son, Yes, there are earthly kings, but they too will pass away. But there is an eternal king who endures forever, an eternal kingdom that you can be a citizen of this very morning if you're only to put your faith in Christ and in Christ alone. The God of our deliverance. In verse 4, Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. And I don't know about you, but immediately when we're introduced to Boaz in his place of work, I really like the guy. <laughs> I don't know whether it's because I've studied him over the years or because I know, as we all know, the, the end of the story. We know more about Boaz in chapter 3 and chapter 4, but I, I just like him. <laughs> I just really like this guy. Immediately you're presented with somebody you're drawn to. What does he say? The Lord be with you. He's the employer. He's the boss. He comes into the field and says to his staff, the reapers, the Lord be with you. Boaz isn't afraid of sharing his faith. Boaz isn't afraid or ashamed of the, of the Lord. Boaz is setting out his stall for the Lord. He's talking about the Lord. We know straight away when we meet Boaz here that he's a good man. He's a godly man. He's a God-fearing man. He's a man who, who is setting out his stall for the Lord. And do you know what else he's doing by talking about the Lord, by sharing his faith, 
by mentioning God in his conversation. He's sanctifying the field. What do these reapers say? What do these staff members say? The Lord bless you. I don't know if they're believers or not, but there's a respect for Boaz and his faith. There's a reverence there. There's a God acknowledging there. Boaz has sanctified the field by his language, by his life, by the fact that he is making it very clear that he serves his Lord. And the question for all of us this morning is, in the field that God has brought you to, in the field that God has placed you, are you, like Boaz, am I, like Boaz, sanctifying the field? Are you going into the workplace and sanctifying the field, gossiping the gospel, sprinkling your conversation with the gospel, talking about the Lord, mentioning him in conversation, making it clear to others that you love the Lord and you follow him? And by, and by your life and from your lips, are you sanctifying the field? I'm not saying it's going to work all the time. Some people will be repelled. Some people will turn away. But some people will be drawn to your God-glorifying life, to the fact that you've set out your stall for Christ. Some people will be drawn to inquire and maybe even drawn to put their faith in the Lord. Some will be repelled. Some won't, it won't make any difference. But others will be drawn to that God-glorifying life. Are you sanctifying the field in your home? Is the Bible in your home? Is the Bible central in your home? Are you talking about the Lord? Are you leading your family up in the fear and admonition of the Lord? Are you sanctifying the field? This week, let's sanctify the field that God has placed us in. Because he's put us there for a reason. He's actually put us there for a reason. In that job, in that company, in that home, in that neighborhood, sanctify the field. Talk about the Lord. Share your faith. Even once this week, include the Lord in conversation. Mention, I was praying the other night, or the Lord strengthened me, or... I was at a church service the other day. And there was a message, and, 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 I, and I want to just share something. Just mention the Lord. And by doing so, you will sanctify the field. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, verse 5, whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, it is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. So here we see Ruth again showing that godly character, showing that submissive character. She had the right to go and glean the field, but she had a submissiveness about her, an obedience to her. She wasn't expecting anything. She was asking. She was requesting. You know, as God's people... As employees, we're to be exemplary employees. We're not to slander the boss or the board. We're not to gossip like the rest. We're not to backbite. We are indeed to be like Ruth, showing respect and reverence to those who have authority over us. Not to please man, but to please the Lord. And so as we're sanctifying the field either as employers or employees, let us show that Christ-like humility and obedience, that, that, that character of Ruth. 
And verse 8, Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. And here we see Boaz pointing more and more to the Lord Jesus Christ. Boaz is pointing us to Christ. And that's the point. He says, you know, have I not the commanded men not to touch you? And when, touch you, when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink for what the young men, men have drawn. Boaz is demonstrating the protectiveness of the Lord, the, 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 the caring of the Lord. Boaz is protecting Ruth. And when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are in the protective hands of the Lord. We're saved, we're safe, we're secure in the master's hands. And nothing will separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. You're not protected if you're outside of Christ, but if you put your faith in Christ, you're safe and secure in the Lord's hands. Boaz provides for Ruth's physical needs, and the Lord nourishes us spiritually. Oh yes, this world will be able to offer whatever you want in terms of nourishment of the body, but it cannot nourish the soul. Only the Lord can do that. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and receive that nourishment, that spiritual nourishment from His Word and by His Holy Spirit. Know the nourishing of the soul in Christ Jesus. The Lord protects us. The Lord saves us. In him we are safe and secure. Yes, the devil goes to and fro this world like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But you're safe, believer. You're safe and secure in his hands. And he will never leave you or forsake you. And you can enjoy and experience the nourishment of his word and his spirit as you walk in fellowship with him. So verse 10, she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Verse 11, And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your birth, and have come to people who you did not know before. The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I'm not like one of your maidservants. You know, there undoubtedly is the, the grain of a blossoming romance here. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later in the next study. But I think here, Boaz is really just a mature believer ministering into a young believer. Ruth is, is just newly saved, as it were. She has just left Moab and turned to the Lord and the Lord's people. And Boaz is a mature believer. And he's reminding her of her testimony. He's reminding her that God repays her work and will give her full reward. He's reminding her that she is uh, uh, under, the, under the wings of the Lord, under the protective wings of the Lord in whom she serves. He's speaking into her life and ministering into her life. And let me encourage you, if you have that ministry in this church, ministering into those who are young and young in the faith, that's a powerful ministry. That's an incredible ministry. It's a ministry with eternal impact. And if you're not doing that, let me encourage you, as an older believer, as an older man or woman in Christ, 
minister in to the young and young in the faith. This is a crazy world, and this is a a twisted and perverse generation. This is a confusing world, and there's all manner of threats out there. The young and young in the faith need you to mentor them, to disciple them, to encourage them on their journey of faith. We've all benefited from that. I'm sure most of us have, hopefully all of us have, benefited from having a mentor in our life, somebody to disciple us. Let us indeed disciple one another. Mentor those who are young in the faith. Boaz is a mentor here. He's discipling Ruth on her journey of faith. And Boaz, verse 14, and we're coming to a close, said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves. And do not reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. Boaz is, is showing that love towards Ruth, caring for, providing for, giving her that little privilege of dipping that bread into the vinegar, letting her sit beside the reapers. He's caring for, he's loving her. He's showing that Christ-like love towards her. And Ruth, in turn, is showing that changed character by, in verse 17 and 18, going back to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and providing for her. She's just showing that godly character of obedience and humility and love. You know, as God's people, let us continue to show that Christ-like character in our lives, loving one another, giving to one another, serving one another, praying for one another, blessing one another. And even in the workplace, when people revile you, do you know what? Bless them. Love your enemy. Live reflecting Christ in your life, and God will bless you. Your testimony will be a shining light for all to see, and God will be glorified. And we come to an end. Her mother-in-law said to her, where have you gleaned today? Where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. This is Naomi. And she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Ruth the Moabites said, he also said to me, you shall stay close by any young man until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with, this young, with his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. You know, it's just lovely that Naomi, as we had said right from the very beginning of the talk this morning, Naomi comes across the border from Moab empty. She says, I left full and I've come back empty. She left, she, she comes back to Israel a broken woman, a woman who is, has had struggles and pain and loss during her time in Moab. But God is still moving in the messiness. God is still providing for her. And God has a plan for her life. And Naomi sees that. She's getting a glimpse of God's purposes. She's getting a glimpse as she hears of Ruth meeting Boaz and she's starting to draw the lines and, 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 and draw the, uh, line up the dots. She's starting to see a glimpse of God's purpose and plans for her life, the life of Ruth, the life of Boaz, and even further afield. She's getting a glimpse of God's purposes and God's plans for her life. 
And you know, wherever you are on that journey of faith, whatever struggles you're going through, God has a purpose and a plan, and it's good. God works all things together for good. Sometimes we don't understand it. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. We do experience pain and loss and suffering on the journey of faith, and sometimes we cry out, Lord, what are you doing? And sometimes he does give us glimpses. But what does he want us to do wherever we find ourselves? Trust him and serve. So as God's people, in closing, there's never a reason to go across to Moab. Whatever God is asking you to do right now, whatever gifts that you have that God is asking you to use, don't play the busy card. That's gone. Serve him for God's glory. Do as he has asked you to do. It's the God of this universe. It's your God. It's your heavenly father saying, I I want you to do this. I want you to serve me in this way. Do it and go out in faith and God will provide and God will enable. God will strengthen. God will guide and God will move in ways that you couldn't possibly even imagine. And wherever you are right now, like Joseph, like Ruth, like Boaz, God has brought you to that place. God has brought you there. And your response, trust and serve. Whatever the field that God has brought you in, sanctify that field. Don't be ashamed of the Lord. Don't deny him by not saying anything. Talk about the Lord and whom you love. Share your faith. Gossip the gospel. Set out your stall for Christ like Boaz, and you will sanctify the field. Some may even inquire. Some may even want to continue the conversation about your faith, and some may even believe and join the kingdom. And indeed, as Boaz ministered into the life of Ruth, that powerful, incredible ministry of discipleship, of mentoring, continue that work for those who do it and start that work because there's young and young in the faith here in this building. And the devil is just, if I can word it this way, itching to draw them away from the faith, itching to confuse them, itching to cause them discouragement and doubt. You've been there. And God has brought you through it. So that experience, pour it in to the lives of those who are young and young in the faith. And like Naomi, see the hand of the Lord in your life. Know that God is leading you and guiding you. Know that the Lord has purpose and plans for your life. And he is working all things, all things together for good, for his glory and for his glory alone. Amen. Let's just pray, and then we'll go to our hymn before the table. Eternal Father, we thank you for this time that we have spent around your word. Father, we have been reminded of the journey of faith. We've been reminded of the God who is sovereign, who's working all things together for good, has purpose and plans for our life. We thank you, Father, that Boaz was faithful, and he stayed, and you blessed him. And we thank you, Father, for for even in the messiness, Ruth, in the mystery of providence, went across that border from Moab into the promised land and met with Boaz. Father, we thank you there was no accident. Nothing just happened. You brought Ruth to that place, and you brought Boaz to that place. And the place that we are in this morning, you've brought us there. And we pray, Father, that in the field that you've placed us, let us glorify God, reflect Christ, and love one another. Father, we pray that our lives would be living testimonies, that people would ask that question, what is it that you have that I don't have?
Why do you have that hope? Why do you have that peace? Why do you even have that joy? And that we would be ready, able, willing, and confident to share our faith for the glory of God and the extension of your kingdom. Father, we pray for our young and young in the faith here in this building right now. Father, we pray that they would grow and mature. We pray, Father, we'd be filled, as, as, as we're reminded in the study of Colossians, they would be filled with knowledge and wisdom and discernment so that we, we, they would be able to know truth from error and that they would grow as men and women of God who love you and, and wish to serve you all the days of their life. Father, we pray that we would disciple, minister in, encourage, take time with those who are young and young in the faith so they could be built up, they could be strengthened, and indeed, they could live for your glory. And Father, we pray that in the mystery of providence, in the messiness of our lives, as we perhaps this morning are just struggling, just struggling to understand the providence of God, help us to remember that we are there, we are here, because you've brought us to this place, because you love us, and you've got a plan for our life. Give us that glimpse of your purposes and your plans. And in the absence of that glimpse, Father, help us to know and trust that you have that plan and all will be revealed in glory. But until that time, we pray that we would trust and obey and serve the Lord all the days of our life. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Our hymn before the table is nothing but the blood.